You're listening to a devotion by Christ Baptist Church. For more resources, visit our website at ChristBaptist.org. I believe we left off yesterday with young George Whitfield finally coming to faith in Christ. Not long after that, after the fact that he was saved, Whitfield was back home, standing in the pulpit of the church in which he had grown up. His mother Some of his family members, of course, a lot of his friends were ready to hear what they assumed would be a fairly, probably standard, uh, polite, careful sermon. Well, they assumed wrong. Uh, Whitfield was gripped by the gospel. Of course, he still had his uh, his the same personality and tendencies that were fiery and uh, and devoted and committed and all of these wonderful things. Um, And so he uh, did not produce a standard polite sermon. Uh, In fact, to give you a sense of the content and force of some of what he said in that first sermon, uh, I'll read to you just a sample sentence. He said at one point in his sermon, uh, it is an invaluable privilege to have a company of fellow soldiers continually about us, animating and exhorting each other to stand our ground to keep our ranks, and manfully to follow the captain of our salvation, though it be through a sea of blood. He's got some conviction. Uh, he's got some, uh, some, some uh, definite ideas there, and uh, he wants to say them with some force. Uh, Whitfield's many years enjoying and participating in the theater uh, were not lost on him. Uh, he knew not only about the power of words, but the power of the right words spoken in the right way at the right time. Of course, not everyone thought that his first outing, his first sermon, uh, was a success. Some thought he was too harsh. Others thought he was overwrought. Others thought he was, he was offensive. Um, some very much liked what he had to say. So it was a mixed bag of responses. But all things considered, it was a good first sermon Uh, that uh, stirred hearts and called people to repent. Not long after he took up regular preaching duties, Whitfield decided to follow his friends, uh, John and Charles Wesley, to the New World, and specifically to Georgia. At that time, uh, in England, not a lot was known among the, the citizens of the United Kingdom. Not a lot was known about Georgia in particular. Um, one uh, promotional piece uh, that had been produced about Georgia, Georgia stated confidently that Georgia had, quote, the pleasantest climate in the world, for it's neither too warm in the summer nor too cold in the winter. Clearly, whoever wrote that was either lying outright or had never bothered to spend a summer in Georgia. I cannot imagine someone saying in Georgia in the summer, it's never too hot. Whitfield later wrote, uh, when he arrived in Georgia, he later wrote that the heat was intolerable. Sometimes, he said, burning me almost through my shoes. He obviously had a different uh, opinion than the one who wrote the promotional piece for Georgia. Of course, it would take time uh, for Whitfield to put this trip to Georgia together, but he finally did it, and he left in January of 1738. In fact, by the time Whitfield was able to go on this trip, 
John Wesley was just returning. Charles had already returned, and so Whitfield would arrive in Georgia and his two friends, the, who, he, whom he was following, and, and they had invited him to be there in Georgia. They'd actually left, so he wouldn't, he wouldn't meet up with them. Um, <clears throat> so there he was. Um, it's interesting if I could offer a little side note here that while Charles and John Wesley had gone to Georgia specifically to engage in missionary work, um, it's really interesting. John Wesley actually wrote and said that he went on this missionary journey, he went on this mission trip, quote, uh, in the hope of saving my own soul. Uh, the clear understanding of the gospel that Whitfield had gained uh, was still foreign to both Charles and to John Wesley. It was while John Wesley was there in Georgia, he met a Moravian preacher, and uh, John Wesley began to see uh, that he did not truly understand the gospel. He didn't grasp its truth. It was only upon returning to England uh, that both John and Charles Wesley came to genuine faith in Christ. Uh, so back to Whitfield, however. Um, his trip lasted in Georgia only three months. It was the first of five trips that he would take, and uh, this one was a short one, only lasting, as I say, for three months. Um, and he, it only lasted for three months because of his desire to return to England to raise money so that he could establish an orphanage uh, in that part of the world. <clears throat> However, it's amazing uh, to read about uh, Whitfield's, uh, the, the way God was using Whitfield and, and the spirit of God in him, uh, the fame and the renown and the success that he had enjoyed in preaching in England was now very much also present in, uh, in uh, the American colonies, especially in Georgia. Thousands, thousands of people would gather to hear him preach, even though until he arrived he was unknown uh, just three months before. Well, when Whitfield did return to England uh, after his three-month stint in Georgia, uh, with his, popular his popularity continued to grow uh, and it seemed to know no bounds. Um, which actually became a source of major strife with other priests and pastors. Why? Two main reasons. First of all, uh, they didn't like his message and emphasis on being born again. And second, they were jealous of his fame and the attention that he was receiving. Uh, so as a result, he was shut out of churches. He was sh increasingly shut out of speaking in religious societies and other gatherings. So the question became, how could he continue to preach? And there were two situations that led to a radical idea. First, he began to realize, you know, when I go and preach at, in churches, there's always an overflow. They're having to open windows and, and people are, are standing outside by the hundreds outside of these churches that he goes to. Uh, and they're craning their necks to listen to him. And so they're actually listening outdoors. Uh, and second, uh, while he was considering this, he'd heard about this man named Howell Harris who was an evangelist in Wales, who was one of the first in all of Britain to begin preaching outside. Now, to us, the idea of an outdoor preacher is not a big deal. In fact, uh, amongst uh, a lot of people, it's considered even passe, something old-fashioned. We don't do that anymore, but it's not considered that big a deal. But at that time, it was unheard of, and depending on where you were, illegal. Um, so much so that some of the outdoor preachers and evangelists that uh, um, started to come out of the woodwork in the 18th century, both in the United States and in, uh, or in the colonies in America and in Britain, um, they wouldn't call what they were doing preaching, they would call it exhorting. 
because there was no law against exhorting people publicly, even if there were some laws about preaching publicly. Well, all told, <clears throat> Whitfield uh, began to preach outdoors, and once he began, he could not stop. Uh, he realized that the impact that he could have uh, and they didn't have to worry about walls and confined spaces. He could preach anywhere and people could gather. Um, and before long, he was uh, holding up to 30 open-air meetings a week, preaching 30 times every week, um, and attended by multitudes, thousands upon thousands of people every time. So as I bring this uh, particular uh, <clears throat> vignette of uh, Whitfield's life to a close, um, as you think about this, uh, I'm not calling anyone by telling you this, uh, this part of church history, this story of, of Whitfield's life. I'm not calling on anyone to go into the streets and preach, unless, of course, God is calling you to do that, and you should be obedient. But I do think it is worthwhile asking God what he would have you do, even if it's something you've never thought of, even if it is, as we often say, outside-the-box thinking. Maybe it's something as simple as inviting neighbors over to your home. Now, again, in this period of COVID-19 and all the rest of it, that's a pretty big deal. Maybe it's inviting them over to a cookout and everybody's outside and nobody comes in the house. You have some you know, people outside. Maybe it's uh, <clears throat> specifically getting to know a colleague or a neighbor, um, praying for them, speaking with them, meeting with them, and so forth, knowing that they are somebody uh, who needs the word of truth. Whatever it may be, uh, let me remind you that when we are open to the possibilities that are around us, it's amazing how often we can be led into seeing the incredible take place. And the incredible is the spread of the gospel and lives and hearts that are turned to Christ and changed forevermore, even as it happened for George Whitfield in the 18th century. <laughs>